Club 400 Radio is on the air. We got John the Sound Man. More than that, John. And we got my partner in crime, <laughs> William. Yeah, He's a good-looking sound man, too. Baseball is back, buddy. We're so excited. We got Finally. Jerome Walton and Dwight Smith this Friday night. Cubs, real Cubs action on the TV set. It's going to be so great. No more spring training, oh, man, and Rizzo gets pulled out in the second inning. Yeah, spring training's been fun, but it's a little bit painful to watch some of these guys you're never going to see again. And we were very successful at our 400 beer giveaway. Thank you, Jason Peters and Melanie Swenson, for doing an excellent job representing Club 400, giving away free beers and koozies. And we hope to get JP out here May 2nd for the Ben Zobrist event. So, uh, but hey, I got to tell you, man, I'm really excited about today's episode. I mean, I really am. This is kind of unique, I think. And uh, sometimes, you know, you get lucky. And today, our guest came in studio. We just finished eating Lou Malnati's pizza. Can't beat that. Not one of the best around. And uh, I'll tell you what, the truth of the matter is, is when I have a relative that's, or, you know, a friend, comes out of state, and they come here to go to a Cubs game. William, what's the first thing you do besides getting a picture in front of the marquee? Probably getting a picture in front of the Harry Carey station. Oh, well, I, I, to be honest with you, I actually do the tour. You know, I start off, and I, I, the last time I did this, I started off at, in the bleachers with Harry Carey, and then we moved over to uh, first baseline with uh, good old Billy Williams and Ron Sano. And then our good old guy. And then we go to the front and get a picture of the marquee. And then we head over to Mr. Cub. Even though I'm not there, I'm, I will always be here. And, uh, well, so we have two special guests tonight. Those are, we have the guys responsible for the statues outside Wrigley Field in studio here today. Let's give it up to Lucella and John. I want to ski. No, nah, it's I want, I want ski. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> So, wow! I'll tell you what. Um, Steve tells a joke. <laughs> Is that what it was? First of all, I don't like to ski because I'm. Have you seen me lately? <laughs> but uh, thanks, guys, for coming out today. I really appreciate. It. I have a lot of great questions to ask. And first of all, let's t- I'll talk about you guys yourselves. I know you're both real Cub fans, and now I mean the fact that you're you're be- you're a part of history down at Wrigley Field, and these are your projects. These are your babies, and you know. Everybody pays. Everybody loves the statues, you know. Uh, so let's talk about. Well, uh, we'll go right to John first. John, tell us about uh, your your Cub fandomness. All right. Well, uh, I've been a Cubs fan basically all my life, uh, just like every member of my family. Uh, my grandmother came over from Sicily, and for some reason, fell in love with baseball and the Three Stooges, and so those two loves have been passed down through the generations. Uh, I lived and died with the 69 Cubs, 1984 Cubs, 1989 Cubs, 1998, 2003. Uh, help me out if I'm missing anything here, Lou. 
Yeah. The three Stooges and the Cubs. Yes. A yes. perfect combination. Go figure. Up until yeah. 2016, of yes, course. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Lou, how about you? Oh, like John, a Cub fan my entire life. Dad brought me, uh, brought me to my first game in 1970. Uh, had a Cub Power shirt in 69. Oh, yeah. Was worn whether it had peanut butter stains or spaghetti stains or uh, whatever else. It wasn't coming off. And when Dad came home uh, late in the season saying they were out of first place and they weren't going to win, it was just, I, I, I didn't know math, but I knew what that meant. Uh, huh? But, uh, you know, and it went from there. I'll tell you what, we've had these guys over for a little bit. We had, uh, like I said, some pizza, a couple drinks, and uh, I, you guys actually, I know you're not related, but does anybody ever ever say like, you could you could be, you act, like, you act like brothers, kind of. You guys have been working together for a long time, I don't know. A very long time. Yeah. I mean, we, met, we, met, we met doing graphic design work in 1991, so mm-hmm. when uh, I started sculpting and John was doing a graphic work, uh, uh, when, when we were creating the designs of these things, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're in tandem. So for the audience out there, let's let's break you guys apart a little bit as far as what your job is, so everybody kind of gets it. So, uh, John, what are you? What do you actually? As far as the statue process, what do you do? Well, uh, on all these statues, uh, with the exception of Harry Carey, excuse me, um, I will will the studio will uh, get input from the Cubs uh, about what they want in a particular statue. Uh, on these projects, what I would do is then do conceptual renderings to show the Cubs what the statues would look like. Um, sometimes we're, uh, there's a variety of different poses that are considered. Uh, for Ernie Banks, however, there was only one pose that could have been done, uh, his unique batting stance. The only question was, was it going to be a young Ernie from, say, 56, 57, something like that, or 1969? Um, other statues, like I said, there might be different poses required. So I'll do the conceptual renderings and I might show what it would look like on a base of granite or marble and using the computer magic, drop it into place, what it might look like various locations around the ballpark. Uh, those conceptual renderings are submitted to the Cubs and they, we kind of take it from there. If they like what they see, then the remarkable team of talented sculptors takes over. And that's where we come that's into Lou here, Lou. <laughs> so I, before we get into Lou real quick, very obviously, probably one of the fun parts, right, uh, is the development. And it's like you're basically, you know, the Cubs are buying the statue and, you know, it's pro- and you're, you're actually selling them on your statue and how it looks and everything like that. And it's, it's probably really fun to probably do that, I, I have to imagine. Oh, absolutely, positively, especially as a lifelong Cubs fan. Uh, I, you know, I've discussed this with Lou and things that we've worked on, that this isn't a dream come true, because I never could have dreamed that this would be possible. <laughs> Growing up as a kid, uh, getting in trouble for doodling in my notebook during math class instead of paying attention, and, and now being able to uh, change the very appearance of that cathedral of baseball wrigley field yeah on on the loose so you take over you're the sculptor correct uh yeah john had to do all the uh all the all the tough uh, uh leg work and then i got the easy part uh sculpting <laughs> a, a seven foot statue of ernie banks to the likings of uh, millions of cub fans and wouldn't be scrutinized at all no <laughs> and so how did how were you guys selected to do this 
Oh, uh, well, you make a long story real long. Um, I work at the Rotblad Amrani Fine Art Studio, which is in Highwood, Illinois. Julian Omri Amrani are the owners. They did the statue of Michael Jordan, Bobby Hull, Stan Makita, uh, everything you would see at the Staples Center, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, and so on. And I started, uh, I became involved with them shortly after they did the Michael Jordan. And when Harry Carey came along as an opportunity, I accompanied Omri to Wrigley Field to meet with uh, John McDonough and uh, Andy McPhail and so on to discuss the possibility of doing a, a statue of Harry Carey. So that process was very prosperous for us, and, and we came out with, uh, with a creative, entertaining sculpture that people really enjoyed and representing Harry. They knew at that time that they would one day want to be creating ballplayers. I, it was John McDonough felt a little awkward even then, but Harry had passed away and was so iconic that it, it just made sense. And Ernie was alive and well and vital, and that would have been the obvious choice at that time. But, but Harry, uh, Harry had passed, so that, that was what uh, brought that about. So as far as being selected, uh, fortunately, they were very pleased with the whole process of Harry Carey. So uh, the call came in to do Ernie Banks later. Uh, I had not worked on anything on that scale when Harry came along. That was technically Omri's project, but he was encouraging artists constantly. And as inexperienced as I was, he said, I'm going to uh, have you work on this. I knew I was going to work on it. I didn't, yeah, when he told me my name was going to be on it, that came as kind of a shock. Uh, it was a very generous uh, gesture on his part. So having that uh, that connection there made it uh, made it easy to move forward and there were other pieces between Harry Carey uh, around the country that I had worked on for other teams and other other companies yeah then let's let our listeners know that he, he just doesn't do statues for the Cubs because if that was the case, he wouldn't have a job the last three years. So <laughs> you do it for all the different uh, players, uh, all the different sports teams out there. Then anybody that'll have us, uh, it's uh, there. There are plenty of sculptures out there that we did not do um, that we have competed for. It, it becomes a, a matter of sometimes it's financial. Uh, in uh, in Ohio, uh, across the board, they are devoted to local artists and when we can't get a project due to that yes you're frustrated that you didn't get an opportunity to say do Jim Tomei for the Indians but when they tell you it's because they feel uh, loyal to local artists you respect that you right. you, you are you are uh, showing uh, loyalty to your community and that's and that's important I don't I wouldn't want to lose the Chicago Cubs project to to somebody who doesn't even care about baseball. Right. I grew up loving baseball, and 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 I've told people many times my two favorite things in life are sculpting and baseball. So when those occasions come that I can sculpt a ball player, uh, that means everything to me. And when they're the Cubs, that means all the more. So it's a it's a it was a very fortuitous confluence of events that that brought us to this. So. Take our less, our listeners on a, a path here. Let's say I'm calling. Uh, I'm going to call John and Lou up. And hey, John and Lou, you know what? I really think that Sammy Solskjaer should get a uh, statue. I want you to do it. So let's talk about the process. I'd like to go through the steps here. Well, 
All right, I'll start. Okay. See how I added Sammy in there, by the way? I did, yeah. <laughs> I want to know the process of how you call Tom Ricketts to say we need a Sammy thing, and then Tom calls these guys to... Exactly. Maybe we'll make it happen. Yeah. And actually, we did talk to these guys about building a statue of me and you, Will, but he they said that would be the, the too heavy of a statue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no place to put <laughs> it. No, no. <laughs> well, uh, the first thing that would happen is that uh, Lou and I would get together. He'd probably come over to my home. Uh, we'd, we'd eat pizza and then watch multiple episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Awesome. Nice. Yes, yes. Uh, then once we got that out of the way, we'd put our heads together and kind of figure out what do we want to depict uh, with a statue. Now, for example, I remember years before the Ron Santo statue was even considered, you and I had talked about it. Mm-hmm. It'd be, oh, it'd be great to do a statue of Ron. Yeah. And one thing that I remember was that I said, I want to show him using his legs, like running or fielding, um, not just standing still uh, in the batter's box. Um, so we toss around ideas like that. Uh, for example, with the Ron Santo statue, n- not to give short shrift to Sammy by any means, um, the Cubs requested six different concepts, two of their own, which left a lot to be desired. Uh, Lou came up with two, and then I came up with two. And eventually they chose one of the concepts that I created. Then I stepped back, watched some more Curb Your Enthusiasm. And <laughs> the let, Bill Buckner episode, uh, I hope. <laughs> he caught the baby and, and was redeemed. And then Lou takes over from there. Yeah, once the Cubs have signed off on a, on a pose, uh, generally speaking, the teams will have something in mind. Um, and like John talked about, that came together very nicely with Ron Sano in that they, they, they did want to go with a fielding uh, pose. Well, that was great, and, and we, were, we were really excited about that. So with Sammy, you could do something where you'd say it's mid-swing or it's batting stance or it's the hop. Uh, one of the things that happens with uh, Omri Amrani's approach to artwork in our studio, too, is creating a multi-image piece to, to perhaps have it all. Uh, so you have these, these blurred, abstracted images that lead into a hyper-realistic uh, finish oh. of, of Sammy ending in the hop. And, and that process then becomes creating a three-dimensional sculpture. So a skeleton armature is welded together out of steel in that general pose. Wow. That is bulked up with wood, and then clay is applied over, skinned over the wood. And you have this amorphic uh, clay blob there that you then have to carve, sculpt back. And it's a soft clay, and, uh, and you carve in the details. They start out rough, as you would imagine, and you keep refining, 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 until you have these finished details, and those details, uh, when you look at them closely, you will see uh, the threads in the, in the cap, if that's uh, necessary. You'll see patches that relate to a specific year. That's one of the things that we always go for. We try and, we try and take those sculptures and bring them to something specific. Now, you say Sammy Sosa, everybody's going to say 1998. So what did the Cubs uniform look like in 98? Was there anything that stands out in 1998 uh, that's different from 99 or from 97 and so on. So there, there might be some anniversary-related uh, element to it. In 98, it would have been the Harry Carey and the Jack Brickhouse Hey Hey 
patch would be on that. And that would put it in a, in a spot in history immediately. So that's the sort of element you want to have in there that keeps it specific. Uh, one, and I can tell you off the top of my head, the challenge with Sammy Sosa would be with these more modern players, is their shoes change every year. When you're doing Ron Sano, Billy Williams, uh, Ty Cobb, Hank Greenberg, whoever, uh, those shoes all look exactly the same. Those shoes basically were unchanged from the turn of the 20th century until the 70s, late 70s, when they started uh, getting more more creative with them. So that would be something that I would be looking at a lot of photos for and trying to to get it as accurate as possible. That uh, So once all that detail is done, we have a clay sculpture. Representatives of the Chicago Cubs come out. They look at it. Uh, ideally, they say, Lou, you did a, a great job on it. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, John. Uh, move forward. At that point, the clay is then coated with rubber, a thin coat of rubber. That rubber hardens. It stays in place with predetermined separating points, but plaster is then put on top of the rubber. So now we have a plaster shell on top of a rubber coating that is on top of that clay. You see this big plaster cocoon covering Sammy Sosa. Once it's all cured, we pop them apart, and they're like clamshells in different sections. At that point, that clay, that hours and hours, weeks and weeks, months of work, becomes uh, disposable. We take the molds, the rubber molds, to an artist foundry, and it is in there they put wax, paint it, into that rubber mold. They build it up to about a quarter of an inch thick, take it out of the mold. So now what you basically have is a wax statue of Sammy Sosa. They take the wax, coat it with yet another mold, it's called a slurry. This is a ceramic composite that is heat resistant. They have pre-established outlets also made of wax coming out of it. So it is now a cocoon of this ceramic. They put it into a blast furnace, heat it up. The mold itself is unaffected by it. The wax inside melts and pours out. So now we have a shell, and inside that shell is a negative image of Sammy Sosa. They pour in molten bronze. It cools, they chip off that shell, sandblast it, clean it up, and they have these raw bronze sections because they can't do it all in one piece. So there's a head, there's a chest, uh, there's, a, there's a hips and butt and legs and everything. They weld all that together, and this is where that foundry becomes critical with their artisan uh, talents. they got to hide all those seams. Welding is very rough in, in its initial stage, and we're putting in texture into that fabric and as I say stitching and and if and if the mold maker wasn't paying attention and ran a seam right down a sleeve patch that has to be recreated and that's what they do they make it look like it did when I had it in clay they put it all together it's raw bronze which it's gold they uh, use an acid-based chemical to etch the color tones into it and it might just be brown it might be green with the Cubs, they want a couple of variations. So you see a lot of natural bronze showing through it, but you also see blue hat, red logo, uh, black hair perhaps, things like that. And, and they, once that cools, they seal it with lacquer, put a little wax over the lacquer so it doesn't look plastic. And uh, we load it in a truck and bring it to Wrigley Field. We, uh, in a lot, at that same time, we've been having a granite pedestal made and the sculpture is mounted to that. And everybody's hoping that the engraving on the granite pedestal is 
reading and uh, spelled, spelled the right, right way and has the correct punctuation. A so famous no. story with the Ernie Banks on that. Uh, but uh, it, oh. it's in place. It's, was uh, there a misspelling or something? On Ernie Banks, uh, it was very simple. Uh, the, at that time, the Cubs did not want any uh, any uh, baseball-type statistics on there. They have since upgraded these with all the renovations to the ballpark, so it does have more of a baseball card sort of stats on the back. But all it said on one, it had Ernie Banks' name on there, uh, and on another side it said, let's play two. And nobody oh, noticed yeah. that right. in the word let's there was a missing apostrophe. Okay. And uh, we went through the whole day of the unveiling without knowing anything about it. It, 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 come, it was also raining cats and dogs, as yeah. you may remember. So it wasn't like the writing was that obvious. Um, a huge, huge publicity issue was made out of that. And, and it was really kind of shocking because we've had much worse errors in the granite right. take place that are corrected, that are not that big a deal to fix. This was simply a missing apostrophe. We went back the, 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 the two days later with a Dremel and, uh, and you know, yeah. we put it, apostrophe, there yeah. it is. So you know, things happen. Yeah, uh, tell me, I was going to ask you guys, first of all, this project that you're working on, you know, it was six, seven, eight months. When you get to finally see that statue and all the hard work you put into it, you know, the unveiling for you guys, uh, I mean, what, goes through your, what goes through your brains? Uh, I am lucky enough to have my parents still with me and it's gratifying for them to see that the tuition to art school was not wasted. <laughs> um, also, I want to jump in here and, and go back to the missing apostrophe case. Um, th that was my, I, I took that upon myself to do that when I did the concept of Ernie. Um, and so at the unveiling... Nobody noticed, and it, to this day, it irritates me that I didn't spot the missing apostrophe right away because I'm a stickler for correct spelling I, and I punctuation. I remember your reaction then, yeah. Um, it was only the day after I was looking at photos I had taken the day before, <clears throat> and I instantly see the missing apostrophe, and I was mortified, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to call Lou right away. <laughs> but then I was like, ah, what's the big deal? I'll call him when I get to work. In the meantime, I believe you were ambushed mm -hmm. by Jonathan Brandmeier, yeah. <laughs> uh, completely by surprise. If I had been less lazy and you know called you before mm -hmm. I got in my car, you would have at least been forewarned. It was still effed up. It, 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 it was effed up. But I was concerned. I had to go back and look at the original concepts to make sure that I had not left out the apostrophe because... I would have had no other option than to commit suicide because it's, that's how seriously I take punctuation. Well, and, 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 here's, and here's how seriously I take it. Uh, I had talked to Jonathan Brandmeier weeks earlier, and I don't know if you guys are that familiar with him or anybody who's not. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a humorous morning man, uh, disc jockey, and, and uh, you know, and he, his, his, his bits are his bits, and, and he, can be, he can be pretty entertaining. And... He was so I just thought he was following up with me the day after the the sculpture was up, and he talks really fast, and I was really I felt like I had a hangover because I had been up since three a.m. two a.m. the day before because of of the Cubs putting me in front of all kinds of cameras prior and so forth and just going through the day. So I thought, okay, he just wants to talk about the statue, and he did, and he was being very nice, and then I I, I kind of like had dog hearing where 
I'm hearing blah, 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 Lucella, blah, 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 apostrophe, blah, 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 Lou, blah, 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 <laughs> apostrophe, apostrophe. And it's, eventually it's sinking in. And like, he's asking about something. <laughs> 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 I'm, and I'm in the car, I, I, you know, and, 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 I, and I, I, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I, I had to make him stop talking. I said, wait a minute, I, what are you saying about an apostrophe? <laughs> and he said, well, Lou Sully, you did this great job on Ernie Banks. And in Let's Play 2, there's a missing apostrophe. And, uh, the apostrophe is missing from the word let's. And it, you're telling me that the apostrophe is missing from the word let's on the, on the sculpture of the Ernie Banks. But this is how I'm learning about it. I'm on the air. And, uh, and, he, and he, said, he said, yes, yes, yes. There's no apostrophe there. And, and I said, oh, is there supposed to be an apostrophe in the word let's? <laughs> so you can see where John and I, our, our educations, he, I, I went to a different art school than John did. And, and, and they, they, they kind of paused and they said, well, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, let, let's, uh, it's, a, it's a contraction, let us play too. And I, and I remember my response was, huh, okay, uh, are people making a big deal about this all over town today, <laughs> about this apostrophe? And they said, well, well I, I, a, a moderate deal. And I, oh, Oh, okay. He said, well, so, what, so how did that happen? And I said, well, you know, the, the granite company, uh, you know, they carved it in there and all that. And they, they said, well, okay, so who's responsible for, for this not being there? And as soon as they said, who's responsible, <laughs> the clouds lifted, the hangover evaporated. And, you know, my eyes shot open, and I, and I, and I just uh, hit the brakes on the car, and it, Who's responsible? They're looking for someone to blame. <laughs> and they he, wanna... he said, John. I W A N S K I. And I had holy mackerel, and I knew wow. exactly where it was going. And I and I said, "Well, I'm responsible for it." I mean, it's it's it's. You know, this it's, is like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. <laughs> right? Oh, it was it was incredible. And, uh, and and he said, "So what are you going to? So what are you doing?" I said, "Well, we'll fix it." Well, we'll yeah. fix it. And I got peppered all day long, the, the Chicago Tribune, the Chicago Sun-Times. I called the Cubs right away, and, and uh, uh, the gentleman I was working with in those days, his name was Mark McGuire, uh, straight shooter, real easygoing guy. He's, he's a pro. And, uh, and, and I said, Mark, have you heard about this? And he said, yeah, yeah, Lou. Uh, he said, I, he said, what, what, what do we got? What, what do you do about this? And he said, well, we'll, we'll come down there and we'll, we'll put it in. And he said, okay, okay. Uh, well, maybe we, we wait till they go on the road at the end of the week. And I said, that'd be fine. Well, by the end of the day, they got hammered mercilessly over this. And I was getting Must have been a slow news day that Only day. Only in <laughs> Chicago. Oh, oh I, I, that was when Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were going head to head in the in the primaries and and that all got bumped off the local headlines and <laughs> i didn't by by late in that afternoon i called the cubs back and i said mark we're going to be out there first thing tomorrow morning and he said thank you <laughs> we'll, we'll see you then and we did and we came out and fixed it and and um it was it was all over the place. It was really uh, it was really was camped out waiting for you to show up. Oh yeah, yeah. Stu, oh, yeah. we need T-shirts. Let's, yeah. let's do with no apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we, we obviously we went way off the reservation from your question about what we're what we were thinking um, that with these things. One of the things that goes through my mind when we're working on these sculptures is well, first of all, when you're working on it, you're basically alone in a studio studying this, studying hundreds of photographs, uh, occasionally 
getting critiqued by other people, whether you want to hear it or not. You, you, you listen to it because it's much easier to fix in clay than it is when it's bronze in front of uh, hundreds of reporters and fans. And, and you want it, you're getting it right. And, uh, and then it's eventually it's bronze and the patina's on it and you're getting ready to load it into a truck. And it begins to dawn on you, it, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Right. You know, this, is, this is going to belong to millions of people that are going to come every day and it's going to show up on television and it's, it's just not mine. You know, the, the people that paid for it are now going to take ownership of it and occasionally there's some issue may come up where you're asked to do a little maintenance on it or something like that and you, 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 you takes you back to where you were when you were working on it. But otherwise, it's... Uh, it, it's because it's it's weird. It's a separation anxiety right. that, that can well, kind yeah, of take place. So much time into it, and effort, yeah. and energy, and heart, and soul, and, and all that. And I would say, uh, Ernie Banks more than any of them seemed to uh, draw out these emotional reactions from people everywhere. And and John can attest to this. Uh, he, bringing friends to the studio uh, to to look at it, I. I had a lot of other artists uh, assist me at different times on it. And when we got to the, one of the last details that went into it were the pinstripes and the uniform. And I created a little tool out of, out of a hard wire. And as people were coming in to look at it, there was always a story, a personal story about their connection to Ernie Banks. And I was inviting them to take the tool and I would show them where I had a predetermined area to put in the pinstripe. Nice. So I couldn't even tell you how many people actually carved something in that sculpture. But John brought a friend out there. His name is Kevin, a big man, real nice guy. And the, the, the man was so nervous. <laughs> what did his wife say? She, she, he said something. Stop being nervous, you big lunk. Yeah. Well, no, no she, was, she, was, he was, she was afraid he was going to pull the whole thing down on oh, top well, of yeah, him or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So there was, there, he said, I don't want to. I said, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin if, you, if you screw it up, it's clay. We'll fix it. Right. We, I'll give you a couple of tries. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so we, you know, we would take pictures of them, and and then after it was unveiled, then I let them have the pictures because I couldn't take a chance of them going public. Us the Cubs were uh, very secretive about these things, and they want that unveiling to be a fresh, uh, bright thing. They didn't want anything showing up, uh, even then, uh, social media wise. I think that the Ernie Banks statue. I mean, that you guys are out there. He's alive, obviously, which was the greatest part about it. You know, when you see the player, like Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub, you know, it's his day, and you guys are behind this project. When you see his face light up, what did that mean to you guys? I mean, it had to, like, you guys had to be a little bit emotional that day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, well, and, and you never know whether you're, you're going to be working with the subject or not. And in, the, in this case with Ernie, the Cubs chose... While he knew about it, they, they chose not to involve him directly. Uh, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. So I didn't know. Uh, and, and, and his portrait was, uh, was a challenge. I was very happy in the end how, with how it turned out. But there was, it was very important that it be right. I make this comparison to buying a car. It can have great engine in it, a magnificent interior, beautiful sound system, if it's got a lousy paint job, you're not going to buy it. Right. it. That face has to be right. That face has to communicate 
Ernie Banks. And, and my boss, Omri, who's like a mentor, he taught me years ago. He said, okay. He said, it looks like him. Everybody knows it's going to, knows who it is. Now we have to feel him. And it's almost like you're starting over. You're digging in and you're, you're looking at, at shadows and yeah, You're questioning yourself or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, heck yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, fortunately, Ernie Banks has been around our lives forever, so yeah. there was a lot of understanding of, of his personality. But nevertheless, uh, there was no room for error on that. And, uh, and as John mentioned, his, with his parents both being alive uh, uh, for that, and as, as were mine, and like theirs, that was my father's favorite player. And he got to be there for that unveiling and, and say hello to, cool. to Ernie Banks and it, 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 that was just more of that connection. I always come back to that, that uh, generational connection that baseball creates. John's talking about uh, his grandmother coming from Sicily. The, the same thing with my great-grandparents. When they, you know, they, they, they came over. My grandfather talked about Cubs Park. It took us years to realize he was talking about the West Side Grounds, which was called Cubs Park. And that's what it just kept going down the generations. So... Here was this opportunity to to actually you know have my father there to be a part of this. If that was that was very emotional. That was very special because it really covered covered our our family history in so many ways. And who better than than Mr. Cub? Right. Who uh, are each of your favorite Cubs all time? Well, uh, when I was a kid, it was Ernie Banks, and when I was in Little League and they were handing out uniforms, I lucked out and got number 14. And that was like the greatest day of my life. Uh, as I got older, uh, I liked Ryan Sandberg. I, I liked the way he went about his business. He was one of the best to ever play second base. Uh, never shot his mouth off. Um, True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lou? Oh, well, uh, when I was a kid... Carmen it was, Fanzone. It was, it was uh, yeah, first... <laughs> And then, and then Billy Williams. Uh, I I just marveled at Billy. He was he was smooth. He was clean. He was a gentleman. He he should have been an MVP. Uh, I, I I really really thought the world of him. Uh, ultimately, though, Andre Dawson just covered it all for me. Um, to this day, his work ethic uh, just was extraordinary. The blank contract. The blank contract. Yeah, yeah. A blank contract. How about that? Who I, does that? No one will ever that do that is, again. No, that is never. It will never happen. Once in a while, just a, a guy comes to the Cubs, and I just get so excited. And when Andre Dawson came to the Cubs, I just I couldn't I couldn't believe it. He was and he played there a relatively short amount of time. But what but, an uh, impact! What a, exactly? What an impact! I just immediately and how? Uh, well, you heard in the uh, Ryan Sandberg's Hall of Fame speech. He he held Andre Dawson up on a, on a pedestal there he for did. everybody to hear. Well, and, and I didn't even know that Andre Dawson meant that much. He didn't have to do that at, at his Hall of Fame speech, but that shows what he what he was. He was such a quiet leader, and you'd watch him. By that time, his knees were always hurting him. And I uh, I remember a game in 1989. It seemed like it seemed like it was slipping through their fingers. It was a cold day in September. They. They needed to win this game against the Cardinals, and it went into it went into extras. And Luis Salazar hit a ball down the right field line with with Andre at first, and he made it all the way around to score that winning run. And they never looked back. And I just remember watching Andre 
just chugging as hard as he could. And you could see it was hurting him. There was Sean Dunstan waiting at home plate, just ready to pounce on him as he got there. Yep. It was just electrifying stuff. Uh, that, 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 that arm, that work ethic, I, uh, there's so many Cubs I'd love to sculpt. But, yeah, yeah Andre Dawson, yeah. he's yeah. right up there. That, by the way, was the first Luis... Uh, did you say Luis Salazar? Carmen Fanzone. We talked. We, we had not <laughs> talked about Luis Salazar. We need to do show. a show on Luis Salazar. <laughs> he was critical at the end of that '89 season yep. when Jim Fry picked him up. Boy, that uh, that made a big difference. So Club 400, William. I think I told you this, right? I would not let anybody who wasn't a Cub fan work in Club 400. So what we're telling all you Cub fans out there today that the stat the statues that you idolize were built by true Cub fans who are passionate and loyal, what we're all about, why we're doing this podcast today. And, uh, you know, you were talking earlier um, about the amount of detail, how you bring in kind of like historians to check your work. I like it because I thought this was interesting, William. You didn't hear it earlier about the hat on top of the butt. I mean, the, the button on top of the hat. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a uh, – I mentioned uh, – mentioned his name, Dan Knoll, uh, who's a prominent – Cubs historian, baseball historian in the area, and I would always invite him out to look at the sculptures to make sure I got it right. If anybody was, he cares. On that's what I'm saying. There's passion behind this project, these projects. And the uh, and as John mentioned with Ernie, we didn't. We assumed it was going to be a 1969 pose, and it turned out no. Uh, they wanted 1959, and there was nothing particularly unique about that uniform except that that was the first year that the Cubs had that uniform that didn't. It seemed to un be unchanged from that point. When that was the second year he won an MVP. The year before, I believe they had a zipper front jersey. It was just, a, and I don't even know if it had stripes on it the year before. Anyhow, Ron Sano, it was 1969, and that uniform is uh, unique in that it's got the baseball 100-year patch on the sleeve with the MLB logo, and. I brought Dan out there, and he happened to have a, uh, as I recall, it was a Randy Huntley jersey and pants that he wore in 1969. That's the level of, of this guy's collection. And he had the hat. And, and I'm looking at this hat, and I said, this hat is 1969. He said, oh, yeah, and he showed me the markings that indicated it was. And I, the little button that's on top of a baseball cap is, uh, is, is coated in... Um, in the same cloth, usually, as the, as the cap. Except 1969, I'm looking at this thing, and there's something different about it. And he said, yeah, that's, uh, he said, that's uh, like a red leather, and that's the only year they did that. But if you see hats from 1969, that button has got like a leather coating on it. And you could see the, the, the texture. I don't know if it was vinyl when it was textured like leather or what, but that's what it looked like. And then how odd. And I said, okay, well, that's... Good to know. And while Dan was sitting there, I climbed up on a ladder and went on top of Ron Sano's head, and I, it, I put in a leather texture mm. on that little button. The top, top of, of the hat. statue that no one's going <laughs> to ever see, but he knows it wasn't right. <laughs> and that's, that's what I said to Dan. I said, I looked down at him, and I said, and only you and me are ever going to know <laughs> that that's a, there's a leather texture on that button. And he said, but and he looked, he's looked back at me, and he said, but we know it. And it's right. <laughs> so that was that's the, how far we can go with the detail. Sometimes there are errors on these things, but there definitely aren't on those Cubs. Well, let me ask a question to that end. Earlier you guys said that you, you work on other teams mm -hmm. and do statues for other teams. Is it hard to have the same passion to do those statues as you do? I mean, you're obviously artists, so 
no, you want to make the the best thing that you can do. But it's is it different doing a Cub statue versus somebody else? And what's one of the non Cub players out there that you're proud of? Road trip. <laughs> Go, ahead. Go ahead. No, you. After you. Oh, okay. No, wait. You've been talking a long time. I'll, uh... <laughs> I need to try. This I, is curb your enthusiasm. Uh, Dude, I want to hang out with these guys more. I, I, I definitely. What, what was the question again? Okay. Oh, <laughs> I don't, no, no, I don't no, remember. No, I, no, I'm yeah. just... um, I would say, actually, for me, any of the, uh, you know, we've, you know, I've helped you do stuff for the Detroit Tigers, oh, yeah. uh, the Washington Nationals. I was telling Stu about that episode, which was. Um, yeah, there was an error you know, in that one. Uh, that was interesting. Um, the fact that it's baseball, I love baseball. Al- although there is just a little bit extra when it's the Cubs. Growing up, I, I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, but it's it, well, no, wait a minute. I take this all back. I had a I worked on the World Series monument for the White Sox. Oh, you sure did. And oh, I, yeah. I hated every second of it. <laughs> oh, look, here's Paul Canerco. Good for him. Yeah, now. <laughs> He's got to look at it every day for eight months after they won the World Series. Oh, so every other baseball-related, uh, oh, absolutely, every other baseball-related project I loved except for that one. Uh, I recently did a sculpture uh, near Detroit for a school in uh, the town of Oakland, and uh, I was told to sculpt this woman named Matilda Dodge Wilson, who founded this school. I had no clue at all who she was, what her story was, So, uh, except that she founded this school. So I look her up, and, uh, okay, well, Dodge, I guess I should have figured. She was married to one of the original Dodge brothers of Dodge Motors. He passed away. She inherited half of the Dodge empire, uh, sold her half, and uh, married a guy named Wilson, and uh, who was all independently wealthy himself, and eventually they started this, the, this university. But she also was a... A philanthropical person who helped people, uh, uh, you know, keep people fed on the streets of Detroit, get homeless off the streets. She was the first woman lieutenant governor in the country. Uh, it, it just kept going and going and going. And here was somebody I knew nothing about when it started. And by the time I was finished, I, I was completely sucked into this, sculpting this little old lady just standing uh, there. And and it was it was extremely personal and extremely interesting. So when it comes to sculpting a ball player from another, you know, a team other than the Cubs, it, it, uh, I, I just sink my teeth into it. Uh, I would say the most obscure one I've done was for a minor league team, uh, in South Bend called a uh, hall of famer, Stan Kovaleski, who played for the Indians in the, in the twenties, but they, mm. that stadium was named for him cause he lived in, in South Bend. I, I, it's baseball, like John said. Uh, I, I, you know, Cub fans out there, please don't jump down my throat about this, but I, I have certainly become quite a White Sox fan with uh, dealing with that organization. It's baseball, yeah. and it's, it's Chicago. It's, it's like and, I don't even know you anymore. I, <laughs> sorry, that's the way it is. Uh, it's it's uh, baseball is just, uh, just everything to me, and uh, – and the way it, it like I say, it, it connects the generations and you see how people respond to them. And a real significant uh, thing that I had seen um, in Detroit, as a matter of fact, we did a statue of Hank Greenberg 
uh, and and uh, this was the year 2000. And I'd go back. You go to games and you watch people look at these things and you listen to what they say and and, and just whether they're doing something or they're taking pictures. And there's a father and son looking at the statue of Hank Greenberg. And the man starts telling his son how this was the kid's grandfather's favorite player. And at the time, the family lived in New York. They weren't even in Michigan. Uh, but he said uh, because they were Jewish and, and that Hank Greenberg was the first player that openly embraced the fact that he was Jewish and would not play during the high holidays. Well, you're looking at this little kid who's suddenly looking at this sculpture in a completely different light. And, and, and it's taking on that much more importance to him. It means, it means there's a direct connection to, to his family, to his grandfather, who he loves. And, and, and they, we worked on a statue, and look what's happening here. Look, look what this is. And, and I just don't, I don't, perhaps one day this will happen with other sports, but there's just something about baseball. That when you're able to sit outside under the sun, and uh, tell stories of your own life and everything while connecting to whoever's on the field. I, I understand few players stay with the same team for any great length of time, and it may, it, Ernie, people like Ernie Banks will not have that. It will not exist, I don't think, anymore. But uh, I find it to be very powerful, and, and that uh, makes it very easy to, to have a, a comparable connection. And... Uh, most recently, as far as baseball is concerned, that would be with Ken Griffey Jr. Because uh, the Mariners are a relatively young team. And that's the face of their history. And he's basically recently retired. Recently retired. I mean, six, seven years now. But still, he, he, even though he left and went to Cincinnati, it just doesn't matter. It's, it's everything. It's, that, is, that is like saying Ernie Banks here. And, and they just adore him. And I was <laughs> the same thing where you're watching people coming up to the sculpture and, and telling these stories about, about what it meant when they were a kid. You know, oh, this was my favorite. Really? He was the best. I remember when he ran up the wall, yeah. things like that. So it's, uh, that's it, gotta be surreal. Just standing there watching fathers and sons and people talking about you know the historical part of that and by the way i was thinking thinking that you guys have a lot of time left on this earth but long after you're gone these are going to be your legacy you know they're gonna they're gonna live forever at these places and this is going to go on and on and on for generations that's yeah. got to be surreal that's awesome people meet at mount rushmore and they meet right? at, yeah they know the 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 mestrovic sculptures in chicago of the indians up on horseback and you know those Artists are long gone, and yeah, people do. Yeah, I, I can't really wrap my head around that particular <laughs> idea. I, I'm just glad they're there. I'm glad, right. I'm glad people are enjoying them. Uh, do you remember that time that we uh, we had gone shopping and I bought a new leather jacket? <laughs> so romantic. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, don't you, don't you remember the leather jacket? She had a check in the storeroom, and we were saying 42, 42, 42, which was my size. At the alley. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I told you, these guys are like brothers, I swear. <laughs> Where is the video camera when you need it? <laughs> yeah, right. So I buy the jacket, and then we went to have lunch at the McDonald's across the street from Wrigley Field when it was still yes. there. Okay. Um, it was surprising and humbling to us because we could look out the window, and this was, uh, it was like really cold and snowing, 
Uh, the wind was howling out of the northeast. Must have been July. And <laughs> no, no, no. It, it was during the off season. It was rotten weather. And we looked out the window across the street, and there were a group of, of young kids posing in front of the Ernie Banks statue, having their picture taken. And young kids that were born decades after Ernie had retired, and yet they still knew who he was, still wanted their picture taken with his uh, sculpture. It was, uh, it was incredible to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that kind of stuff just keeps moving. you. When Ernie passed mm -hmm. away, the sculpture was in storage, and we <laughs> that was a tough night. I, I didn't see it coming, and we're watching on the news, the, the tributes, and um, Carl Rice, who manages the ballpark uh, across the board, he's, he's actually extraordinary with the volume of work he does for the Cubs. Uh, I, his name came up on my caller ID, and I, and I knew right away what he wanted. He wanted me to get that sculpture back in Chicago, because it wasn't supposed to come back till opening day with all the work being done. They were bringing it back, and they were putting it in Daly Plaza. Mm -hmm. And I... <laughs> there's there's only one answer to give the Cubs, and that's and that's I'll I'll find a way I'll I'll make it happen. And this was a Friday night at like it was around news time that that came out. Anyway, it was around nine thirty ten o'clock, and I was on the phone with it was being stored in Michigan where the where the granite was being reworked and things. And I I went up there the next day in January, loaded it into a truck and rushed it back. And fortunately, enough of it hadn't been over, it hadn't been stripped down or anything yet for restoration. So I, I got it back, and when they put it up there at, at Daly Plaza, I was I was there for that when uh, they laid a wreath there and everything else. And, and it, it just all these people coming out in the bitter cold to to just pay their respects. I to I remember Ernie. that. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. That kind of, uh, in fact, I remember talking to Tom Ricketts there, who was. There enduring the, that like the cold for that, but he knew there were going to be fans there that, that they wanted to connect to, and that was important. And what there, there's Ernie, who but Ernie, you know, would, would bring that out. We are here with John and Lou, the only guys in Chicago that have nightmares about apostrophes, <laughs> and uh, and clearly of the coolest jobs ever. <laughs> exactly, we are in the bottom of the seventh of the podcast and the reason why i say that is is i would like to go around and we'll talk about each statue a little bit about something funny or cool or interesting that you might not know about the statue so we're going to lead off with my guy harry carey sammy souls is in there right come on you got to tell me Oh, the faces. Yeah, yeah. Well, any, well anything you could think of, you know? I mean, <laughs> well, I'll tell you something that uh, it was, uh, I, you may remember the famous uh, writer when the legend becomes fact. Oh, sure. uh, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The man who shot Liberty Valance. Print the legend, right? Mm -hmm. um, there, the tour guides at a certain point at Wrigley Field were telling people that the forward hand of Harry Carey on the sculpture was designed to contain a can of beer that we did that deliberately. Uh, that is simply not true. <laughs> it's not Darn, I wish it was. It's <laughs> not remotely. Genius! <laughs> <laughs> what happened there was uh, Omri and I were working on this uh, sculpture for weeks. People thought that he and I were married because that's how we fought every day. <laughs> and, and Omri was sculpting that hand. And, and I said, he's supposed to be saying a one with a very distinct closed fist except for the index finger protruding the way he would start singing Take Me Out to the Volume. A one. 
And, and, and I said, what do you got there? You know, it's, it's, it, that hand is almost completely open. And he said to me, look at the photos that we have. And, and we had a collection of photos from that year's Cub convention, which Harry attended and sang, take me out to the ball game. And he was talking about how he was older and he probably had arthritis. And, and this is what he was doing. And I looked at the photos and I, and I just nodded. And I said, yeah, all right, I see it. I see it, yeah. All right, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I left it alone. And when we finished the sculpting, um, one of the other artists in the studio came walking in to check the progress and, uh, and said, boy, you know, you could put a cup of beer right in that hand. And, and I stood there looking at it, and I thought, oh, my God. That's what they're going to do. They're going to they're gonna think we did this on purpose. And, and I... And I thought, oh, he's never going to let me close that up now. It's, it's done. And Ed Lynch and Andy McPhail and Jim Dowdle, I mean, they, John McDonough, they were all coming. And, and they came in and they looked at it and they said, leave it. They, they loved it. Do not change a really? thing. Really? Awesome. And, and that was it. And the uh, next day that that thing, after that had been unveiled, they were plucking beer cans out of there. <laughs> they told me sometimes multiple times a day uh, uh, they would do that. Um, you, you were asking, uh, uh, Stu, about the... Uh, the faces. Um, that was that piece was designed to be Harry singing and reflect a lot of energy coming up, and the faces were supposed to be fans singing along. And uh, the the directive we had at the time was they didn't want him to look like anybody. Well, we were working on that through the late summer and early fall of 1998. So I had the radio on every single day listening to hear if Sammy was going to hit another home run and whether they were going to make it to the playoffs. Right. You remember, it took uh, 163 games to, to, right. to get there. Gary Gaetti. Gary Gaetti, right. And, and we, uh, so it was all about Sammy Sosa to me, and it just seemed like this, we're doing this in 1998. I know it's going to say 99 because that's the, the dedication of it, but, but you know, let's work it in. We're going we're gonna to rough them up anyway. And... Uh, uh, so, so yeah, we created the likeness in there and, um, uh, that, that I just seemed appropriate, uh, for, for that period. But, um, yeah, that was a little against it, but you know. <laughs> well, you said, uh, Henry Rodriguez, name some of the people you kind of put in there. Oh, well, bit. okay. Here's what was going on. Uh, because I find this interesting because this was the first Cub statue ever and like, it was my guy Harry Carey, and then, like I analyzed that thing over there. You know, I got. I'm talking about the replica, of course, that you did. Well, we yeah. Well, we we put in Sammy's face. What we were also doing was trying to uh, reflect multiple ethnicities. So what you you see is uh, a, a you know a, a white guy, a, a, a baby, a, an, an Asian woman. A, uh, there's the Sammy face, and then we, I went for Hispanic, and I, I had a great photo of Henry Rodriguez, and nobody's ever going to remember. Did you know that? We're teaching you guys out there. Henry Rodriguez is in the statue. I, I, that's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, who's going to remember what Henry Rodriguez looked like years from now? Anyway, uh, I, you know, I'm surprised he survived the 98 season. So, um, I'm surprised we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we were, that, that's, that, 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 was the whole, uh, that was the whole thinking through, throughout that. So there was, so that's why they the, those faces look the way they do. It's all about the candy bars, man. That's what that was. <laughs> uh, I have an anecdote about the Harry Carey statue. Uh, I was uh, at the studio while uh, Lou was meticulously sculpting uh, on the base of the Harry statue. There is Wrigley Field, the fans kind of rising out of it, Harry rising out of it, and 
Lou was meticulously putting texture onto the grass field uh, on the base of the statue, using a toothbrush or yeah, right. a, oh, yeah, a, a paintbrush with one hair or something like that. <laughs> so, so he's working diligently, putting the texture on the grass field, and the owner of the studio, Omri, says, It looks too perfect. Nothing in nature is perfect like that. And Lou, of course, says, Wrigley Field is perfect. <laughs> so then Omri turns to me and says, Do you think the grass is too perfect? And I said, Well, it just so happens I, would, as I, I was at a game recently um, in the, the upper deck, and I could look down the outfield and clearly see where the grass had been worn away by the outfielders uh, playing the field. And, and as soon as I said that, Amri said, you see? And then he began smashing down Lou's texture <laughs> to make it less perfect. Oh, my God. And you, you didn't take that too well. Uh, yeah, well, I, I thought I'd forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. He's an artist. You can't mess with the man. Now. Bring up these no. bad memories for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- yeah. Th- thanks yeah. for coming in and helping me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>